I just want to express uh, my appreciation to Nadia and the music team and her careful choice of music uh, with what we're going on, and I, I hope you appreciate that as we, you see things fit together. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I love hearing people's story of, of grace of God in their life. Uh, how they came to faith, what, what happened in their life, the fascinating stories of how God worked in their life, and uh, what led to making this huge monumental decision uh, to follow Christ. And uh, so, uh, you know, when I think of this, and you think perhaps of your story if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, that did you grow up, was it the influence of your home, your family, that uh, led you to making this uh, commitment of your life to Christ? Was it a, a journey through a struggle and terrible times that you, you looked for something beyond yourself? You knew you didn't have what it took or what you needed to make it through, and, and you turned to God through a circumstance like that. Maybe you went through a, a kind of an academic quest um, you wanted to find out uh, rationally, was there any basis for faith in the Bible? And, and what about uh, the challenge of science and all of these kinds of things? Um, was, it, was it another believer that just lived such a, a winsome life before you that really attracted you? I don't know, but perhaps you're in process still. Maybe you're not there yet. And, and you're just trying to figure things out. You're thinking about it. And uh, perhaps, you know, you, you, you want more information. You really want to study and learn. And, and I am so happy for that. And I want you to know that as a church, we would do whatever we can to help you uh, as you examine the truths about the Christian faith. Uh, perhaps you've been let down by another Christian uh, and and you're, you're disappointed and, and maybe turned off. Maybe something you've seen, hypocrisy in the church or something, and, and, and you're just backed off. Um, my, my hope for you is that you would look beyond that. There's, no one is perfect and no church is perfect either. Um, but, but that you would have a chance to look and weigh pros and cons and to count the cost. You may be very, very far from God this day. You may be running from him, or you may be close. Jesus said about one person that he talked to, he said, you're not far from the kingdom. You're really close. You're, you're just about there. And um, uh, I would ask you a question. Where are you in your spiritual journey? I, I really was intrigued. Uh, I, I spoke at one of our Alpha uh, classes and uh, shared three aspects of faith that we put uh, into God and into Jesus Christ uh, to become believers, and, and three different movements in faith. And, and I was intrigued that after that gathering, that uh, one, one guy came up to me and said, you know what you're talking about? He says, I'm at number three. He said, I've got the, the content of the Christian faith, I believe there's something to that, but I haven't yet taken the step of putting my faith and trust. He said, I'm hoping within the next six weeks or the next six months to be able to take that step. And I thought that was so interesting. I love hearing faith, uh, faith uh, uh, 
experiences that people have. And, um, and I, um, I, I want you to know that every person's experience is absolutely unique. It's, it's like each one of us is like a snowflake. There's, there are no two uh, alike. Um, and today I want to share the faith story of a guy by the name of Saul. We just read something about that. You know him as Paul. And if you're newer to church or to the Christian faith, you may hear a lot of times people saying, now Paul says, now the apostle Paul did this. Now Paul, and, and you're saying, well, who is this Paul guy? Well, this, this guy is someone that we're going to talk about, how he came to be introduced to the Christian faith and how he made a commitment to that faith. Um, we're actually introduced to him with three short little um, uh, statements that are made in Scripture. And one of them was, uh, uh, and we talked about it last week, uh, with this hostile envir environment and the first Christian martyr. The first person to die for his faith was Stephen. And, and we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5 that Saul approved the killing of Stephen. That's all it says. He was there for it. He was taking care of their coats. Uh, he was uh, assenting to it. Um, and then in a couple of verses later, it says, now Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Um, we just had that read for us. And, and here's this guy who was not there, only there consulting. He is now very actively going out to, to, uh, to put Christians to death. Now in nine, Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 it says, Meanwhile Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He, 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 now we, we're trying to, we're, we're getting a picture of who this guy is you're picking up that this is not exactly the kind of guy that is Christian friendly. He's not the kind of guy who is, uh, you want to be around if you're a Christian because he's intent on your death. He would do anything. He has a notorious reputation for that. He's strongly opposed. He's obsessed. He's maniacal about this. And his life's goal was to eradicate the Christian faith and the Christian movement. Well, I want to talk to you about Saul's background. Saul was born into a strict Jewish home in Tarsus in Asia Minor. It had been said of this place that it was no ordinary city. It was quite a place uh, to grow up. But he, early in life, he also moved to Jerusalem. Um, he had the privilege of being a Roman citizen and all, all of that, what that meant in the whole Roman Empire, he could go as a citizen and uh, be treated properly uh, in that way. Um, at an early age, he goes to Jerusalem and, and he, if you will, he goes to an, an Ivy League school. He has one of the top professors, teachers, academics of his day, a man by the name of Rabbi Gamaliel. And um, he's a part of a very conservative right-wing religious group called the Pharisees. And as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see a whole lot of stuff about these Pharisees. He was one of them. Recognized as absolutely brilliant, aggressive, a future leader. He had advanced in Jerusalem uh, and in Judea and Ju uh, Judaism beyond people his own age. 
He was a type A, go get him kind of personality, zealous, overachiever. He never did anything in halves. And as we learned, he had this vicious hatred for this new Christian sect and was intent on their eradication. He was the most feared person for the church. He was more committed to annihilating them than anything else. If there, was any, if there was anyone who was beyond the grip of God, beyond what, what we could imagine, we couldn't see this person ever becoming a believer. Have you met some of those people that you just look at them and say, not that one, N never. I've had that a couple, uh, a couple of times, people that I've looked at and I thought, mm, no, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I don't think they'll ever come to Christ knowing who they are and what they believe and how they act and what they think. So I want to just look and let us track this guy's journey to faith. And I want to say this first. In terms of this journey to faith, we find out that it's God's initiative. Now, no one hated Christians more than Saul did. No one was more dedicated to killing believers. But when we think of this journey to faith, we often think about people um, and what they thought and what they experienced and what they did and, and what things were impinging upon their life. And that's legitimate. But it fails to recognize this. And this is that, that God, uh, our whole journey starts with God. It doesn't start with us. We never initiate. God is always the initiator. And so here we have uh, Saul. He's accosted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's heading to Damascus. He's there. He's gotten papers from the high priest, the, the religious establishment, that he can go into Syria, go to Damascus, uh, the, the uh, uh, capital city of of Syria, and he can find be people who are Jews, go into the synagogues, and, and almost like this Gestapo interrogation, he can bring them back to, to Jerusalem where they can be put in jail and ultimately killed. And, and so listen as he talks about his life. Um, Paul would look at his life and we would say, there's, there's no way this could happen. But it starts with God. And here's what he would look back and say in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. It says this, But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not con uh, consult with any man. He's saying this. He, he's, he's saying, when I think of it and I look back, what I find out was, God had put his hand on me. God had given an irrevocable call to me at, from the time of my birth. And he was pleased to reveal his son to me. He revealed Jesus Christ to him so that he might preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He would be the uh, preacher, the missionary to the Gentiles. God had, had Saul pegged right from birth an irrevocable call on his life, a destiny that God had planned for him. You see, our acceptance with God doesn't start with us. It starts with God. In Ephesians 1.4, it says this, that God chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the 
the world, that we would have, uh, uh, that we would have uh, no hope without God. He said, before even the creation of the world, I knew you. I set my love upon you. I chose you. And what, how incredible is this? You see, we, we have no hope unless we realize that God first reached out to us. Jesus says something fascinating. In, in John chapter 6 and verse 65, he says this, I told you, Jesus says, that no one can come to me unless the Father enables him. We, we can't get to God without God's help. Uh, and and this, is, this can be hard for us because we're proud and we're self-reliant and all of that kind of thing. And Jesus would say in John 15 and 16, you did not choose me, but I cho chose you. Isn't that great? He, he knows us by name. He, he set a destiny for us. And it's not like when we tell the story, well, you know, I was really messed up over here and then God put some, some Christian people in my... We, we, you know, we, we, we think about it in terms of our own perspective. But he says, we need to think first God's perspective. You remember when Jesus met and confronted Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was in a tree. He wanted to see Jesus. And, and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down because I want to go. I, I have an appointment with you. And we're told at the end of that in Acts, in, in Luke 19, that he says this, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that incredible? See, it wasn't, it wasn't our initiative. It was his initiative. And if you are a believer, I want you to understand, it wasn't that you pursued God. You did not pursue God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who, who, who chase after God at all. If you're a believer, you're a believer because God set his heart and love upon you, that, that Jesus was seeking you, that the, he's reaching out for us. Well, the second thing is, it's a personal encounter with Jesus. So here, here he is. He's, uh, he's falling down. He's encountering Jesus. It was a light that was so bright, it was brighter than the sun. It blinded him. He fell to the earth. And, uh, and he hears a voice. Saul! Saul, when you have two, I mean, this is, this is God speaking, and he's, I mean, pay attention. He's, he's calling your name, and he's not calling, calling it just once other. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's, an, it's interesting. We say he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was, he was uh, after the, the disciples. No, he says, you persecute m me when you persecute my people. That's how he understood and looked at it. He knows his name. Saul is blinded by the brilliance of God's glory. He's knocked to the ground. He's helpless. All the bravado is gone. All, all the arrogance is gone. He's groping around the, the, the ground blindly. And, and who, who are you? Who are you? What are you? Uh, he, he doesn't even know what he, he, he is. He can't do anything. You know what? I don't believe that this was his first encounter with Jesus. You say, well, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, I, I think it's very likely that Jesus and Paul were contemporaries. They, they were close to the same age. And it's hardly uh, possible for Saul 
to be in Jerusalem and living in Jerusalem and not having known about Jesus, not having seen, having heard. Um, and, and to see and to hear Jesus is to be left with an indelible mark upon you. You, you can't be the same. You, you, you can't ignore it. Um, no one could refute Jesus' teaching. Do you know, do you know what he said? The, the, the people said, Nobody ever taught like this. Nobody ever spoke like this. We've never heard anything like this before. He has authority, and, and he held them spellbound with his speaking. And, and so I, I, think, uh, I think that there were, uh, that he probably had some knowledge of Jesus, maybe heard him speak sometime or something like that. Well, the second reason I say that is in, there are three recitals of the, the uh the conversion of the of Saul, uh, three different places. It happens in Acts nine. It happens in Acts twenty two. It happens in Acts twenty six. He rehearses his testimony over and over again. And in Acts twenty six fourteen, it says something very interesting when he talks about this experience. There's something that we don't get in Acts nine that we do that we get in Acts twenty six. He says this. Uh, to Paul, he said, um, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what is a goad? Well, if you've, if you've got, if you're plowing, if you're uh, driving a, uh, a donkey or something like that, um, you have something that you can pro prod them with to make them go, to make them go where you want them to go, to, 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 to do that. And he, he says this, that Jesus said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm trying to direct you. I'm doing things in your life. You don't acknowledge me, but you, you will not succumb. You will not uh, surrender yourself at all. And so here is Saul, persistently resistant. He was going through an, an internal battle. The psychologist Carl Jung stated, Fanaticism is almost always found in people who are trying to compensate for secret doubts. You get that? Fanaticism is always, almost always found in people who are trying to compensate for secret doubts. Here's Paul who's living a life that he would later say and testify that he was living a life that was absolutely perfect in, in the eyes of himself he would think God as well, and, and anyone else that we came along. He, he, he was so proud of his uh, record of, of following the, the law of God in, in such a um, profound way. He was proud of his heritage, his, his affiliation, his meticulous observance of the law, as perfect, perfect as he could be. Yet he's agonizing about something, something in his heart. We come to Romans chapter 7, and Paul speaks, and many, many commentators take this as Paul speaking about his life before he became a Christian. He says this in Romans uh, 7, verses 21 to 24. He says, I find that there's a law at work. It's at work in me. When I, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight the law of God. But I see another at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of sin at work within my mem members. 
What a wretched man I am. Paul, I mean, you're, you're, you're perfect. You said you live a perfect life, and yet you're agonizing over what you see in your own life. And he's struggling. What a wretched man I am. Are you trying to earn God's favor by obeying him? You, you can't do enough to satisfy God's call for our perfection. Well, there's a third thing that I think could have impacted him when he says there are these goads. Uh, he was there when Stephen was stoned. He was there for the very first martyrdom. He was there standing there keeping the cloaks of people and consenting to it. And I kind of think that you can't stand there and put a man to death by throwing stones at him. Do you know how much you'd have to do that to, to get him on the ground and to knock him out and hit him, hit him in the head enough time that, that he can uh, bleed and, and die, that kind of thing? He had the, the task of watching this happen. This was like nothing he had ever seen in, in a person who had died. He showed such composure, Stephen did, such grace, such strength. Stephen, it says, was full of the Holy Spirit, and he looked to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and, and he sees Jesus at the right hand of majesty. And when he says this, they scream, they hold their ears, and they, they just pelt him more and more. And he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them against him. He's asking for these people who are killing him that God not hold this against them. It's incredible. And so Saul may have looked like he, this was a one-time thing. Jesus accosted him. No, I think there was more going on in his life that, that was bothering him deep inside. I can imagine that those words would burn into his consciousness and plague him. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, to become a Christ follower, you need to have an encounter with Jesus. Now, to be sure, most of us are not going to have an actual presence of Jesus in a blinding light that knocks us on our keister and, and, uh, and humbles us in that way. But we do uh, encounter Jesus through his words, in the words of Holy Scripture. We do confront Jesus as he speaks through those words to us, as it brings uh, condemnation, as it brings... Um, understanding of our sin and what God has done for us, our failure, his grace, his forgiveness that is offered, what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rose again from the dead. You see, it's going to require from him not only this spiritual surrender, but he's going to be asked uh, to, to, to go further to surrender, an acknowledgement of his rebellion, of his being humbled before Jesus, surrendering to do his will. In, in Acts 9, 5, and 6, it says, he says this, who are you, Lord? He's, he's laying, groveling in the, in the dust. He, he says, Lord, who are you? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. 
He needs to surrender to Jesus. He's incapacitated. He's helpless. He's blind. He's dependent on a Christian, the people he was going to kill to get rid of. He's relying on them to lead him and take him into the city. He's been knocked down in the dirt. He has no good option left for himself except to wave the, the white flag of surrender, to admit that he needs a savior, and to place his trust and allegiance and obedience to the Messiah that he was resisting. That's what he calls for. He, he comes to understand that everything that he was living for was worth nothing. And, and uh, he, he would come to understand that he had to abandon himself of everything that he was relying on himself. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anyone thinks, Paul says, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, that is, you, you get to God, you get accepted by God by all the things that you do and how you live the law and all these things that, that God will, God will surely, surely accept you on that basis. He says, if, if you want to talk about having reasons to have confidence in yourself, he, he says, um, I have more. He says, he says this, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm top of the heap of, of people in my uh, nationality and my religion. In regard to the law, he says, I'm a Pharisee. I, 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 I meticulously keep the law. As for zeal, I persecute the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I am faultless. It says, don't do this, do this. Do, and, and he says, I'm faultless. But he says this, whatever I was profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything I did that I thought would afford me a right relationship with God didn't work. I, I now consider it, he says, uh, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, I consider it rubbish. It's manure. That's what it is. Everything that I built my life on, everything that I sought to earn God's favor, I see it's worth zero. It's all in Jesus and putting our faith and trust in Jesus. He surrendered to that. He understood that that's the only thing he could do. The genuine faith demands a tangible transformation. And by their fruit, they'll know them. So we need to see something of a change of life in him. Saul's been three days not eating, not drinking, can't see, and relying on a Christian to, to care for him. And what happens is Ananias, God tells him to go, and, and Ananias says, no, no, see, Lord, this guy is trying to kill us. He's coming to, to find those of us who are Christians and take us back. And, and what happened was uh, Saul, Saul says, you know, that there's nothing I can do. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. They lay hands on him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Something like scales fall from his eyes. He's able to see. He was blinded spiritually, and he was blinded physically. And now that, bl that blindness is going away. Spiritually, he can see that Christ is all in all, and that he was so wrong. And he's baptized 
and becomes a part of the, the, the uh, family of God. And, and Ananias uh, stood up and, and was said, look, at this, he's now on our team. He's playing for our team. And it, it, it looked for a changed life in him. Listen what he says to him Acts, in Acts 9, 15 and 16. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I'll show him how much, how much he has to suffer to, for my name's sake. He's now on the Christian side of things. He has another allegiance. The hunter would now become the hunted. The persecutor would become the persecuted. And I'll show him what he's going to have to go through. And immediately after that, he, he finds himself with a different allegiance. And, and we find him immediately going to, uh, going to serve. Uh, look, look at what it says in Acts 20 to 23. He says this, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this man the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. There has to be a change in our life. And, and here we see him immediately. God is changing him. He's turning him upside down. And through him, he'll turn the world upside down. And Paul never got over the wonder of God's grace. Here's something of his testimony in 1 Timothy 1, 13 to 15. Even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a worthy, uh, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. What a testimony. What a turnaround. Nobody believed that this could happen to him. And here he is. The fiercest enemy had become the greatest proponent. A heartless murderer has become a missionary. Jesus said, I'm talking to his own disciples about people being able to come to faith in Christ. He said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself an impossible case? Do you think maybe you have too many academic kind of questions? Uh, maybe, maybe it's that you have lived and lived a life that is not good and you're ashamed of it and you, you see no place, no place for God to open his arms to you, not with all the terrible things that you have done. I want to tell you that even the worst of the worst, Paul says, I was the worst. I was killing God's people. And uh, he says, 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me. He said, I'm a trophy of the grace of God. Look at me and know that for you this is impossible too. It may be that uh, you've been running from God. Maybe, maybe you've, been, you've felt the tug of Christ. That You recognize that now perhaps as God's reaching out to you. He, he's, he's pursuing you. He, he wants to see you come to him. He's seeking you. He's drawing you to himself. Has it been, have you picked up on that? He loves you. He wants to be your God. He wants to forgive you. He wants to welcome you into his family and to give you eternal life. And I want to ask you a question. Won't you stop running? If you're running from him, won't you stop running? And and so we look at something like this and every one of us who have become a follower of Jesus have been, uh, we've been a miracle of God's grace. My testimony is not exciting like Paul's from that standpoint. I grew up in a Christian home. I I trusted Christ as a little tiny kid. I've lived relatively faithfully to God through all my life. I don't have this, this horrendous story that God brought me from. But every one of us is, is, a, uh, is a trophy of God's grace. And the worst of us and the best of us are, fall so far short of, of God's desire, what, his, what he wants out of us. And, and we need to be able to see that all of us, no matter how good or bad we are in, in the sight of others, we all stand in the need of God's grace. The literary giant C.S. Lewis knew what this was about. His mother died when he was young. His father put him and his brother into a boarding school. He couldn't manage raising two boys like that. Uh, At 17, he became an atheist. But he would go through life and, and uh, had God had put people into his life, like the apologist uh, G.K. Chesterton, like J.R.R. Tolkien, who were believers who talked to him. Uh, he was plagued with internal stru- struggles. Uh, he, he, he relates himself and his spiritual journey as the hound of heaven was pursuing him. God was pursuing him, and he couldn't get away from him. He couldn't outrun God. And finally, he, he succumbed to the grace of God, waved the red flag. He said this, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted for even a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desire not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God, and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England, I did not see what I now see, but most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. He found God's grace. He wrote about that in a book called Surprised by Joy. 
His life was radically transformed. And I want to say to you, stop running. God will chase you down. He will chase you down because he loves you and he wants you to, to bring you into his family. I remember a number of years ago reading an article in the, the newspaper of a family that had gone to New Brunswick for a summer vacation. And uh, while they were there, their 11-year-old son by the name of Andrew got lost. And, and they went looking for him and they couldn't find him. And, and they called the police and they got other people uh, looking and combing through the, the huge forests of trees that they have uh, where they were. And uh, what, ha- what happened was some people spotted him, they thought. And he eluded them and ran away from them. He didn't realize that they were trying to find him and help him. And he was running from them. And the sad, sad tale is he ended up dying of exposure there. And, and, and the thing that, that really grips my heart is this. These people were looking to rescue him and he was running from them. And God is looking to rescue you. And you may be running from you. And I say... He, you can't outrun God. Stop, turn around, and reach out to him. That's, that's the most amazing thing that God does for us. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't become a believer yet, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, notice that it doesn't start with you. It, it, he initiates it, and he comes after you because he loves you. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Will you open your heart to that? Maybe you, maybe you say, you're talking to me. You're taught, this is absolutely me. I have been running from God for a long time for many different reasons. God is persistent. He's not willing that any should perish. He, turn around and run to him and not from him. And if you want to do that, you just need to pray a very simple prayer, turning from your, your running from God to running to God. Uh, to to, uh, put your trust in him and what he did for you, that you would turn from your sin and you would open your heart to believe and to put your trust in Jesus' death on your behalf and uh, and that that you would uh, accept that he died for your sin, that he paid the penalty for your sin, and we know that God accepted it because he raised him from the dead. And if you express that, that you, you are a sinner and that you want to turn from that sin and you're putting your trust in him and you mean that with all of your heart, this very moment you do that, he will come into your life, you will be his child and he will, he will keep you forever. And if you've made that decision or you want some help in understanding things better, please let us know. We would be happy and delighted to be able to share that with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you are chasing us, you pursuing us because of that love. You're not willing that we should be separated from eternity from you. You want to make uh, us your children. You want to forgive us. You want to reach out by your grace. And I pray, Father, that you'd help those who have not yet made that decision to make that decision. Or if they're in process, to keep the process going. And Father, I pray that you would make yourself known to them in such a wonderful uh, and beautiful way. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.